the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us. James Blend is producing. Sam Maupin is engineering. Today we're going to hear from uh, Kyle Mann, co-author of the Babylon Bee Guide to Wokeness. That's coming up in the second hour of today's program. Well, December 15th, 1791 marks the ratification of our Bill of Rights, the first 10 amendments to the Constitution and the rule of law it enshrines. Well, the Bill of Rights was inspired by three remarkable documents. John Locke's 1689 thesis, two treatises of government regarding the protection of property in the Latin context, and part from the Virginia Declaration of Rights, authored by George Mason in 1776 as part of that state's constitution. And, of course, in part from our Declaration of Independence, authored by Thomas Jefferson. Although the Bill of Rights is commonly referred to as the first ten amendments to our constitution, it's important to distinguish these ten articles from the amendments. The former are an integral part of our constitution, while the latter, over the course of our nation's history, have been modified. Well, because of that distinction, the addition of the Bill of Rights was hotly debated among our founders, many of whom argue that the mere reiteration of these innate and unalienable rights of man within the Constitution might imply that they are somehow subject to amendment as it granted by the state. And they wanted to make a clear distinction. Alexander Hamilton, he argued in Federalist number 84, Bills of Rights, in the sense and in the extent in which they are contended for, are not only unnecessary in the proposed Constitution, but would even be dangerous. They would contain various exceptions to powers which are not granted, and on this very account would afford a colorable pretext to claim more than were granted. For why um, declare that things shall not be done which there is no power to do? Well, on the other hand, George Mason was among 16 of the 55 Constitutional Convention delegates who refused to sign because the document did not adequately address limitations on what the central government had no power to do. Indeed, he worked with Patrick Henry and Samuel Adams against its ratification for that very reason. It was a hotly contested debate. Well, as a result of Mason's insistence, the first session of Congress incorporated these 10 additional limitations upon the federal government for the reasons outlined by the preamble to the Bill of Rights. The conventions of a number of the states, having at the time of their adopting the Constitution, expressed a desire in order to prevent misconstruction or abuse of its powers that further declaratory and restrictive clauses should be added, and as extending the ground of public confidence in the government, we best ensure the the beneficent ends of this institution. End quote. Well, read in context, the Bill of Rights 
as a, a whole is both an affirmation of innate, unalienable rights of man and a clear prescription upon any central government infringement on those rights. As oft trampled and abused as the Bill of Rights is by those who've sworn an oath to support and defend our Constitution, most notably judicial supremacists or the despotic branch, as Jefferson called the judiciary, patriots must remain ever vigilant in order to sustain those rights. One excellent resource on our nation's founding is Mark Alexander's essay on American liberty, which you can find online. It's certainly worth reading. Well, today, as I mentioned, is the 230th anniversary of the signing of the Bill of Rights. Presidential historian Jane Hampton Cook wonders what's happened to those rights and says this, and I'm quoting, President Franklin Roosevelt, who designated Bill of Rights Day on December 15th, believed nothing could make us yield our rights. What we face is nothing more nor less than an attempt to overthrow and to cancel out the great usurp, uh, upsurge rather, of human liberty, of which the American Bill of Rights is the fundamental document. Roosevelt passionately declared on the Bill of Rights 150th anniversary, which was eight days after the Japanese military attacked the U.S. military at Pearl Harbor on that infamous day, December 7th, 1941. Under totalitarianism, Roosevelt explained, the individual human has no right by virtue of his humanity, no right to a soul, a mind, a tongue, or a trade of his own, or to live where he pleases. He added that his duty is one of obedience only to Hitler, referring to those we opposed. In contrast, President Roosevelt boldly declared, no threat or danger can make us yield our freedom guaranteed in the Bill of Rights, end quote. Well, Roosevelt was wrong, though Hitler and Benito Mussolini couldn't make us surrender our Bill of Rights. The fear of COVID-19 might be an example in which we are willing. There comes a time when you do have to give up what you consider your individual right of making your own decision for the greater good of society. That's a quote from Dr. Anthony Fauci, Joe Biden's chief medical advisor, audaciously professing. Fauci was wrong, especially about the greater good. Well, nevertheless, Fauci holds a great sway over public policy around the nation, and the resulting loss of liberty can often be traced to his pronouncements. Fauci has casual disdain for the Bill of Rights and your liberty. That's a quote from Senator Rand Paul. He decried, we have got a real problem, an authoritarianism, we, who also, authoritarian rather, who also doesn't obey the science, Paul said. This is a recipe for totalitarianism. It's a recipe for something we don't want in our country, end quote. While others are taking up the same call, rejecting rule by bureaucratic fiat, in large part, she says, because COVID-19 policies clearly cost Americans their rights and many of them their lives. This year, Americans can honor the Bill of Rights 230th anniversary by having the courage to say no to totalitarianism and fear and yes to their rights. Americans must tolerate each other's vaccine decisions. They must demand early treatment options for COVID-19, Fauci's removal and an investigation into the federal medical bureaucracy. It is an interesting prospect on this 230th anniversary. Well, in other news, the Biden administration released almost 1,500 documents today pertaining to the assassination of President John F. Kennedy in 1963. Now, unlike some of you who were not around during that time, I remember precisely where I stood at the moment the uh, announcement was made that President Kennedy had been assassinated. The National Archives is processing previously withheld John F. Kennedy assassination related records, according to a memo from the President Biden on October 22nd, requiring disclosure of releasable records by December 15th, 
2021, the agency said in their statement. Well, the National Archives has posted records online to comply with these requirements. Well, Congress established the Assassination Records Review Board as part of a 1992 law to collect documents on the assassination to be released by 2017. Now, if you haven't noticed, this is 2021. However, many of those records remain redacted or partially redacted, and both President Biden and Trump have delayed the release of some documents. Well, Kennedy was killed by Lee Harvey Oswald, a former U.S. Marine who defected to the Soviet Union in 1959 before returning to live in Dallas in 1962. And while law enforcement agencies have concluded that Oswald acted alone, the assassination spawned numerous conspiracy theories. Federal agencies have also refused to declassify thousands of documents citing a potential harm to national security because it has taken the government so long to get these records out. No matter what comes out, no one is going to believe that that's it. An official familiar with the classification process uh, has said well, President Biden delayed release of some of the documents in October, scheduling the release of some documents on Wednesday today and setting a deadline for December 15th to complete security reviews of other documents. Well, temporarily uh, continued postponement is necessary to protect against identifiable harm to the military defense, intelligence operations, law enforcement or the conduct of foreign relations that is of such gravity that it outweighs the public interest in immediate disclosure. The White House memo signed by the president stated on the 22nd of October. Now, it's difficult from my vantage point to imagine how in 2001, an event that took place in 1963 uh, could harm military defense, intelligence operations, law enforcement or foreign relations. But nonetheless, at this point, I suppose we just have to take their word for it. Well, some of the documents may include information on intelligence agencies' activities during the Cold War. CIA historian John David Price says it could be that there's a source out there who is still in power or still connected directly to someone that would uh, be dangerous for today's intelligence collection. Uh, Now you have to balance that against the historical interest and the compelling public interest here. I suppose that's all true. It's difficult to imagine, again, from my vantage point, which, of course, isn't the vantage point. But we'll see what happens next. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our second hour, we'll hear from Kyle Mann. He's the co-author of The Babylon Bee Guide to Wokeness. That's coming up in the 5 o'clock hour of The Georgine Rice Show. Well, five Republican governors have sent a letter to the Pentagon asking the Department of Defense to remove its coronavirus vaccine mandate on National Guard members. We write to request you withdraw part of you, part of your and the service secretary's directives to National Guard members in their Title 32 duty status concerning the COVID-19 vaccine, the letter states. We acknowledge your right to establish readiness standards for the National Guard for activism uh, into a Title 10 status. However, directives dictating whether training in a Title 32 status can occur, setting punishment requirements for refusing to be COVID-19 vaccinated and requiring separation from each state National Guard if unvaccinated are beyond your constitutional and statutory authority. 
end quote. Well, the letter was signed by Governor Mark Gordon of Wyoming, Governor Mike Dunleavy of Alaska, Governor Kim Reynolds of Iowa, Governor Tate Reeves of Mississippi, and Governor Pete Ricketts of Nebraska. The letter continues, and I quote, the U.S. Supreme Court has for decades affirmed in cases such as in uh, Parapich versus Department of Defense, that the National Guard is under the command and control of the governor of each state unless those members are called to active service under Title 10. The militia clauses found in Article 1, Section 8 of the U.S. Constitution clearly state, reserving to the states respectively the appointment of the officers and the authority of training the militia according to the discipline pres- prescribed by Congress. Well, National Guard members answer to the governor of their respective state unless activated for federal servers, uh, which has put the governor at odds with the Biden administration regarding his vaccine mandate for members of the military. And as you know, those who uh, decline uh, being vaccinated for a variety of reasons are simply discharged. Well, the Pentagon didn't immediately respond to a request for comment uh, on this letter from these govern, uh, governors. Well, last month, Oklahoma's Republican Governor Kevin Stitt also asked the Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, to suspend a requirement that Oklahoma National Guard members receive the COVID-19 vaccination, noting 800 soldiers or 10 percent of the Guard hadn't yet vaccinated and didn't intend to get the inoculations. Well, additionally, the new leader of the Oklahoma National Guard said none of its members will currently be required to become vaccinated a step that contradicts the administration's vaccine mandate for the military. Well, unless federally mobilized, the guardsmen will not have to become vaccinated for COVID-19, according to an order issued by the new adjunct, General Thomas Mancino. No negative administrative or legal action will be taken against guardsmen who refuse the COVID-19 vaccine. Oklahoma Command will continue to process federal vaccine waivers in accordance with the Department of Defense. Well, the president's attempt to implement vaccine mandates across the country have been struck down in various courts, but his administration has insisted that it remains confident the mandates are on solid footing. Well, thus far, that has not been the case, but until a final decision is made, the possibility remains. Well, the Defense Department is facing a federal lawsuit after it decided to block Bible passages from dog tags with military trademarks. Now, Shields of Strength, a Texas-based business, has been providing dog tags for years, even though Department of Defense policy prohibits the use of its trademark on products that promote religious or other types of messages. Well, the department's policy reads, the Department of Defense marks may not be licensed for any purpose intended to promote ideological movements, socio-political change, religious beliefs, including non-belief, specific interpretations of morality or legislative statutory change, end quote. Well, according to the complaint that was filed on Tuesday, the military sent SOS cease and desist letters after the military's Religious Freedom Foundation threatened legal action in 2019. You might recall we talked about this a couple of years ago. Well, First Liberty Institute that represents SOS claims that the military's policy is unconstitutional and that its decision to deny trademark license applications was arbitrary and capricious. More specifically, it claims the military is violating the First Amendment rights to free speech in addition to free exercise and establishment of religion clauses. It's a cruel insult to our service members to deny them a source of inspiration, hope and encouragement simply because it contains a religious message. The general counsel for First Liberty is arguing Department of Defense officials caved to the empty threats of those who make their living by being offended. There's no legal reason for the military to discriminate against shields of strength, end quote. Well, in a statement, 
Um, the founder and president, Michael Weinstein, criticized First Liberty's complaint and argued that SOS was still able to produce dog tags without de- Department of Defense marks. Well, the complaint, which weekly tries to cast the Military Religious Freedom Foundation as an evil um, main villain here, outrageously plays down that the issue was shields of strength, use of the trademark Department of Defense branch emblems on its religious products. It is uh, only these products with an official Department of Defense emblem for which the department licensed is required that the department has uh, said shields of strength cannot sell. So there is a version apparently that is acceptable, but a version that is not. Uh, He went on to say um, the shields of strength is and has always been free to produce and sell its other products. Hopefully any competent federal judge will easily see through First Liberty Institute's specious subterfuge and justly rule in favor of the Department of Defense via DOD or DOJ on behalf of the department, filing a simple motion for summary judgment or other routine preliminary dispositive motions. So the dispute is over whether or not these religious statements, and for example, there'd be a scripture on the back of one's dog tags, can or cannot bear a religious message. We'll continue to follow this story that really began, as I mentioned, back in 2019. In other news, the U.S. Air Force discharged 27 active duty, highly trained airmen for refusing to take the COVID-19 jab. Well, President Biden's Beijing Olympics boycott sputters as South Korea and other U.S. allies say no. And thanks to President Trump's Abraham Accords, the Israeli prime minister made an historic visit to the United Arab Emirates, stressing the new reality for the region. You wonder how long that will last. Well, Hong Kong tycoon, rather, Jimmy Lai has been sentenced over his banned Tiananmen vigil. Uh, You might recall Jimmy Lai. His image is probably more familiar than his name. But making reference to Tiananmen and the events that took place there some years ago uh, rendered him unacceptable to the communist Chinese government. Former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows contempt vote by House Democrats has drawn a sharp rebuke from Republican Representative Jim Jordan. Well, the U.S. representative tore into House Democrats last night after they and some Republicans voted to hold former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows in contempt of Congress. The vote, 222 to 208, came a day after the House Select Committee investigating the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol voted 9 to 0 to recommend Meadows, uh, Meadows rather, for prosecution after he refused to testify before the panel. Well, in a re- reaction posted on Twitter, Jordan, an Ohio Republican, asserted the vote was strictly a case of Washington politics. Americans can barely afford groceries. Gas prices are up. Crime is skyrocketing, he wrote. And what do Democrats do? Punish their political foe in the dead of night who no one is watching or when no one is watching. Pathetic, end quote. Well, in both the committee and full House votes, the Democrats were joined by GOP representatives Adam Kinzinger of Illinois and Liz Cheney of Wyoming, both of them longtime critics of former President Trump. Meadows responded late on Monday to House committee vote, telling Fox News host Sean Hannity that the recommendation from the committee was disappointing, but not surprising. The former North Carolina congressman, who also served as chairman of the influential House Freedom Caucus, was previously cooperating with the January 6th committee's investigation. He later stopped working with the investigators and is now suing them. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Quick break. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our second hour, 
a conversation with Kyle Mann, the Babylon Bee's Guide to Wokeness. So if you're confused about what it means to be woke, you'll want to listen so you can take notes. Well, the black juror in the Jesse Smollett trial found one behavior rather suspicious, uh, saying it didn't add up. Well, the only black juror on that panel that convicted Jesse Smollett of lying to Chicago police said he couldn't get past what the actor did not do after he claimed attackers looped a noose around his neck, rip it off and keep it off. If others saw the noose as Smollett's clumsy effort to portray his attackers as racist, Andre Hope saw much more. As an African-American person, I'm not putting that noose back on at all, he said, speaking to a local Chicago television station. At trial, Smollett testified that after the alleged attack in downtown Chicago in January of 2019, he returned home and put the rope back around his neck so police who came to his apartment soon after could see it. Hope was not the only black person who struggled with Smollett's use of such a potent symbol of racism in the U.S. to convince authorities he was the victim of a hate crime. You can count me among them. In an interview with News Nation Now, after Smollett was found guilty last Thursday, Eddie Johnson, who was Chicago's police superintendent in January of 2019 when Smollett said he was attacked, said virtually the same thing. I was concerned because I don't think there's many black people in America with a noose around their neck and wouldn't immediately take it off and keep it off. Jesse Smollett, the actor, however, did otherwise. And other news, Michelle Tafoya, NBC's... um, uh, or her role there at NBC is changing after Colin Kaepernick's remarks on The View. Tafoya will no longer be the sideline uh, spokesperson reporter for NBC's Sunday Night Football after the season uh, has uh, ended. A Phoenix police officer is fighting for his life after being shot multiple times. The suspect is in custody. Mario Cuomo fired back at the uh, order, forcing him to return some $5.1 million from his COVID book, calling it political hypocrisy at its worst. Hmm. Well, a Google memo laid out a plan to fire employees who are out of compliance with the vaccine rules. And the House voted to raise the debt ceiling, sending the bill to President Biden's desk. The Biden administration dealt a massive blow to progressives as it confirmed plans for federal student loan payments. They're not going to be made. A judge ruled on former President Trump's effort to block Congress from obtaining his taxes. And a Tesla chief called Democrat Senator Warren, Senator Karen, as the war of words hits a fever pitch. An Amazon delivery driver in Philadelphia was caught on camera Tuesday threatening to shoot someone after they complained that she was blocking the street. Everyone's a little on edge. President Biden blistered Americans rejecting vaccine mandates again. He responded to a reporter asking about the mandate setbacks in court by saying this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated, not the vaccinated, the unvaccinated. That's the problem. Everybody talks about freedom, about not uh, having Uh, to have the shot or a test well guess what how about patriotism how about you make sure you're vaccinated so you do not spread the disease to anyone else what about that what's the big deal end quote and again i'm quoting the president now if you're vaccinated shouldn't you not have to worry about the anyway elon musk tussled with elizabeth warren as mentioned a moment ago after he's named times person of the year warren tweeted let's change the rigged tax code so the person of the year will actually pay taxes and stop freeloading off everyone else well to which elon musk responded and if you opened your eyes for two seconds you would realize i will pay more taxes than any american in history this year well that battle is certainly not yet over
Well, the percentage of Americans citing no religion has hit an all-time high, now at 29 percent, and fewer than half of all U.S. adults pray daily. From the story, this secularizing shift evident in American society so far in the 21st century shows no sign of slowing. The latest Pew Research survey of the religious composition of the United States finds the religiously unaffiliated share of the public is 6% points higher than it was five years ago and 10 points higher than a decade ago. From another story on the subject, if the unaffiliated were a religion, they'd be the largest religious group in the United States, according to Elizabeth uh, Drescher, an adjunct professor at Santa Clara University and the author of Choosing Our Religion, The Spiritual Lives of America's Nuns. She also noted that nuns, those who proclaim no religious affiliation, were once concentrated in coastal urban areas, but have since spread across the country and occupy a variety of ages, ethnic groups and social classes. Philadelphia schools plan to allow children to declare any gender without parental consent. From that story, the student's self-identified gender preference will then be used in school-specific applications like Google Classrooms and internal systems like school and district records, as well as report cards. Students will be allowed to change their own gender themselves, including declaring themselves non-binary without a parent's or guardian's permission and without providing legal documentation recognizing the change. Public school enrollment is shrinking across the country. That previous uh, article may be the explanation as to why. From that story, the most irresistible force behind these uh, falling enrollments is the lack of future kindergartners, that is, the lack of babies. California's total fertility rate was 2.21 babies per woman in 2007, and it fell to 1.66 in 2019. The United States has fewer children today than it did a decade ago, not merely proportionately. The under-18 population actually decreased by 1.1 million from 74.2 million to 73.1. Uh, Of course, many private schools are seeing record numbers of applications after the public schools in Democrat-run states and municipalities show disregard or even disdain for children by locking them out of their buildings, quarantining them because one child coughed, and forcing even four-year-olds to wear masks. Homeschooling is seeing record popularity. In other news, Jen Psaki blamed the increase in meat prices on the greed of meat conglomerates. It has absolutely nothing to do, however, with higher prices, apparently. Um, there was a video on the subject on Twitter, but of course, I can't share that with you. But Ted Cruz points out the Biden-Harris White House has a new talking point to try to dodge the blame for inflation. The American people won't buy the Biden administration's spin. Well, Elizabeth Warren tweeted, families are rightly upset that the price of meat has gone through the roof. Who's to blame? Meatpacking monopolies that are using inflation as cover to raise prices and make record profits. I'm fighting for stronger antitrust enforcement to lower prices, she went on to say. San Francisco Mayor London Breed claims she's going to crack down on crime after she insisted defunding the police. Well, as the city becomes the laughingstock of America, Mayor London Breed is part of the Democrats who shot, who uh, shield criminals from consequences. So it's one thing to put more police on the street. It's another to hold them accountable once they uh, are apprehended. 
A new New Hampshire teachers union is suing to block a critical race theory ban in public schools. Parents remain the enemy of the American Federation of Teachers. And the use of Latinx failure follows the Democrats' struggle with Hispanics as the group fails to get in line with what the woke expect of minorities. And I cannot tell you how frustrating it is when there are expectations of what you should and should not do because of the group you happen to belong to. I'm thrilled that uh, Latinos are... um, Rejecting that Kroger will no longer provide paid sick leave for unvaccinated workers. I think they're also fashioning scarlet A's for them to wear on their uh, their clothing. The company will also add a $50 monthly surcharge to company health plans for unvaccinated managers and non-union employees. The Cincinnati based grocery chain is one of the largest employers in the United States with almost a half a million full time and part time employees. Kroger has made a decision to tighten pandemic-related policies for its workers at a time when businesses across the country face uncertainty over federal vaccination mandates. Well, in an example of a spindapalooza, as mentioned earlier, the U.S. House voted to raise the debt ceiling, sending the bill to the president's desk. Meanwhile, the national debt, as it stands now, is now $287,859 per household. So if we had to pay it off today, that's what you owe. Congress debt limit hike ignores our dangerous addiction to spending. But again, that's not really news, is it? Well, a key inflation metric, producer price index, grows at the fastest pace, 9.6% ever recorded, according to the National Review. And inside the newest record-breaking inflation report, gas is up 58%, meat is up 13%. Well, House Democrats passed a bill to combat Islamophobia in support of anti-Semite Representative Ilhan Omar. They didn't uh, define what Islamophobia is, but they're against it. Democrats are worrying that their grip on the Hispanic vote is loosening. And in the first two weeks of December, the Border Patrol seized enough fentanyl to kill more than 23 million people. The first two weeks of December. The San Francisco Democrat mayor, after a backing defunding police, has reversed herself, as are others as well. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We need to take a break, but we'll be back to continue winding our way through the news. And in the second hour, we'll talk about the Babylon Bee Guide to Wokeness. So stay with us. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, high schools are steering students to an alleged porn producer for scholarship. A Denver elementary school hosts a racially segregated family playground night. And Los Angeles schools hosted an LGBT club for four-year-olds to promote two-spirit sexuality and child mutilation. An LGBT club for kindergartners um, uh, and a radical... Left-wing understanding of sex were all promoted in the nation's second-largest school district. And it will start up again when the new semester begins. More on that a bit later. A grim milestone, the U.S. reaches 800,000 COVID-related deaths. A minority of parents are getting their uh, hardly-at-risk children vaccinated for COVID-19, although they uh, can choose to do so if they wish. On this day in history... Oh, it was the year 1791. The Bill of Rights, the first 10 amendments to the U.S. Constitution, goes into effect following ratification by Virginia. 1890, Sioux Indian Chief Sitting Bull and 11 other tribe members are killed in Grand River, South Dakota, during a confrontation with Indian police. 
1938, groundbreaking for the Jefferson Memorial takes place in Washington, D.C., with President Franklin Delano Roosevelt taking part in the ceremony. 1944, on this day in history, a single-engine plane carrying band leader Glenn Miller, a major uh, in the U.S. Army Forces, um, Army Air Forces, I should say, disappears over the English Channel while en route to Paris. 1960, Teflon-coated skillets first go on sale at Macy's flagship store in New York City. 1961, former Nazi official Adolf Eichmann is sentenced to death by an Israeli court for crimes against humanity. He would be hanged five and a half months later. 1965, the two U.S. manned spacecraft, Gemini 6A and Gemini 7, maneuver toward each other while in orbit, at one point coming as close as one foot. 1967, the silver bridge between... um, um, Gallipolis, Ohio, and Point Pleasant, West Virginia, collapsed into the Ohio River, killing 46 people. 1978, President Jimmy Carter announces he would grant diplomatic recognition to Communist China on New Year's Day and sever official relations with Taiwan. 1989, a popular uprising begins in Romania that results in the downfall of dictator Nicolae Ceausescu. Interestingly enough, he attributed that to Praying Christians. 1995, European Union leader meeting uh, in Madrid, Spain, choose the euro as the name of the new single European currency. 2001, a 50-foot-tall section of steel, the last standing piece of the World Trade Center's facade, is brought down in New York City. 2013, Nelson Mandela is laid to rest in his childhood hometown, ending a 10-day mourning period for South Africa's first black president. And finally, on this day in history, 2019, Former FBI Director James Comey admits on Fox News Sunday that the recently released Justice Department Inspector General's report on the launch of the FBI's Russia investigation and their use of the surveillance process showed that he was overconfident when he defended his former agency's use of the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act. Well, Senate Democrats are likely going to miss their self-imposed deadline to pass the president's $1.7 trillion social spending bill by the end of the month and are instead focusing on advancing a voting rights bill, according to reports out of Washington. Senator Joe Manchin has held out on supporting the social spending measure, leaving Democrats short of the 50 votes needed to pass that legislation via budget reconciliation. Sources familiar with the planning by the Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer's office told NBC News that the vote is likely to happen in the new year, in part because Senate Democrats haven't finished negotiating the bill and because they've not yet completed all of the procedural steps necessary to hold a vote. Well, two congressional sources told the outlet a vote could be delayed until March, despite Schumer's public assurances on Wednesday that Biden and Manchin are having many discussions and that Democrats are waiting to see the outcome of those conversations, which are pretty predictable. Well, CNN's Manu Raju uh, reports that talks between Manchin and Biden are not going well. The child tax credit has been a huge sticking point as Manchin wants to cut the measure, according to Raju. Other Senate Democrats pushed back against the prospect of cutting the child tax credit. Senator Elizabeth Warren said we need the child tax credit. It has uh, cut childhood poverty in America by nearly half. Well, it hasn't quite passed. But nonetheless, Manchin said he's not opposed to the child tax credit, but would not comment when asked if he wants it cut from the social spending bill and for it to move separately. Well, the CNN reporter asked the House Speaker, Nancy Pelosi, if Democrats miscalculated uh, Manchin in this uh, whole process. And she responded, I think that this is called the legislative process and we have our rules um, 
and they have their rules. I'm not uh, going to have a post-mortem on something that hasn't died. I think we will have legislation that will pass, end quote. Well, sources uh, told NBC that uh, it's not yet ready to send the Senate home for the holiday yet. His office said that he's still planning to hold votes this month on the social spending bill and a voting bill, although that prospect is lessening as time goes by. Well, I mentioned a few moments ago, and I'll uh, talk about this in the next hour perhaps uh, as well, but uh, the Los Angeles Unified School District's Office of Human Relations, Equity and Diversity hosted a 10-week online club for LGBT elementary schoolers down to four-year-olds. It also prepared a series of presentations that promoted um, left-wing gender theory and uh, sexualities that parents were made unaware of, including the two-spirit sexuality. Well, the club was called Rainbow Club. It met once a week for 10 weeks. It was advertised to students from preschool to fifth grade as a virtual club for LGBTQ plus elementary school students, their friends, and their grown-ups. TK stands for Transitional Kindergarten for children who are four years old or preschool age. Well, the club had its last meeting on the 3rd of November, and the advertisement notes that the club will restart next semester. Now, the office values and traditions. It concludes by telling students, and we're talking about uh, middle schoolers, uh, that the two-spirit tradition is resilient and precious and that it has survived centuries of colonial violence and prejudice, end quote. One presentation called Queering Culture featured an intersectional amalgamation of CRT, critical race theory, and left-wing gender theory. One side provided definitions for the terms BIPOC, and I won't even bother to say them all, while others discussed... Um, a man from the 1880s who was dubbed the, the queen of drag and led a queer resistance group. Now, we're talking about middle schoolers here. A presentation that goes on to include a section on intersectionality, asking students to reflect on their racial and sexual identities. Well, it goes on uh, from there. The uh, indoctrination calendars and LGBT vocab guides to very young students. And again, they would not confirm that parents were made aware of or participated in these programs uh, for young children. And this is in the largest school district in the United States, in Los Angeles. I think many parents would be surprised. We need to take a break. We've got news and traffic coming up here at the top of the hour, but we will return. And in that second hour, we'll talk with Kyle Mann, co-author of the Babylon Bee Guide to Wokeness. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us. James Blend is producing. Sam Maupin is engineering today's program. Coming up in our next couple of segments, we'll hear from Kyle Mann. He's the co-author of the Babylon Bee Guide to Wokeness. He'll join us for a couple of segments. That's coming up right here in the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. Well, a Missouri school district is um, being forced to pay more than $4 million in damages to a transgender student after it didn't allow the biologically female student to use the boys' restroom and locker rooms. The jury ruled on Monday that Blue Springs R um, uh, school district was liable for sex discrimination against the student who had received a legal name change in 2010 and had received a new amended birth certificate to reflect a new name and new gender in 2014. The student was not allowed to use the boys' restroom and locker rooms at the middle school and the freshman center, according to local reports. Well, defendants again denied the plaintiff access to the boys' restroom and locker rooms, even though 
Um, she is recognized as a boy under the laws of the state of Missouri. The court document read, defendants continue to deny the plaintiff access to the boys' restroom and locker rooms as of the filing of that petition. While the student participated in boys' PE and athletics in middle school, she was required to use a separate single-person unisex bathroom outside the boys' locker room because uh, defendants refused to give him or her access to the boys' locker room, the court document said. Now, Legal uh, changes had been made, but no physiological changes had been made. The student chose not to participate in fall sports in the 2014-2015 school year at the Freshman Center due to being denied access to the boys' locker room and restrooms, the document added. Well, the settlement comes as part of a 2015 lawsuit. The student first filed a charge of discrimination with the Missouri Commission of Human Rights in 2014. The lawsuit filed for the student's um, states that the district's reason for denying her access uh, was because she was transgender and is alleged to have female parts. And they argued females did not belong in the male restroom, but they did make accommodation. Uh, she didn't want to be in the f- with females because she identified as a male, but that accommodation was insufficient. Well, in other news, China's government is paying social media influencers here in the United States to promote the Beijing Olympics and distract from diplomatic boycotts over its human rights violations, according to disclosures filed with the Department of Justice. Now, the Chinese consulate is paying Vippy, who's a New Jersey-based public relations firm, about $300,000 to have influencers on Instagram, TikTok and Twitch promote the Beijing Olympics, according to that disclosure. Well, the influencers will also be required to promote U.S.-China cooperation on issues, including energy and climate change, you know, to kind of clean things up and make them look a little better than they actually are. Uh, the 2022 Beijing Winter Olympics have inspired diplomatic boycotts from the, U- the U.S., Australia, and the U.K. due to China's purported ethnic cleansing and torture of Uyghurs, a Muslim ethnic minority in western China. Well, Vippy will be required to pay eight social media users of various tiers of popularity to create 24 posts, which I suppose they will willingly do because, well, they're being paid. Under the agreement, 70% of paid content from influencers should focus on Beijing Olympics, as well as its history and culture. Another 20% of content should focus on China-U.S. cooperation, and 10% should consist of sharing media directly from the Chinese consulate, according to the disclosure. State-controlled Chinese media, including Chinese Daily and uh, Xinhua, already spend millions of dollars attempting to influence American audiences, according to the Washington Free Beacon, which initially reported on the incident. Well, in addition to the suspected Uyghur genocide, China received international backlash for the brief disappearance of tennis player Pang Shua, who had uh, accused a Chinese Communist Party official of sexual assault. And while her location has since been confirmed, experts said her safety is uh, impossible to confirm. And many believe she was coerced in the video presentation that she was most recently seen in. Well, another news, Elon Musk has said that uh, Neuralink, his brain interface technology company, hopes to start implanting its microchips in humans next year. Uh, He said the first humans to receive the chips would be people with severe spinal cord injuries. And he has previously given earlier time frames for Neuralink uh, to implant its chips in humans. But now he's saying next year. Well, co-founded by Musk in 2016, it's developing a chip that would be implanted in people's brains to simultaneously record and stimulate brain activity. It's intended to have medical applications 
uh, treating serious spinal cord injuries and neurological disorders. During a live stream interview with the Wall Street Journal CEO um, Council on Monday, Musk was asked if Neuralink planned to do what they plan to do in 2022. And Musk said, and I'm quoting, Neuralink's working well in monkeys and we're actually doing just a lot of testing and just confirming that it's very safe and reliable and the Neuralink device can be removed safely. He added, we hope to have this in our first humans, which will be people that have severe spinal cord injuries like um, quadriplegics next year pending FDA approval. Well, Musk said Neuralink's standards for implanting the device are substantially higher than that of the FDA and what they require. He reiterated the 2022 timeline in a tweet. Progress will will accelerate when we have devices in humans. Hard to have nuanced conversations with monkeys, he said, next year. Well, Musk has previously offered earlier time frames for Neuralink to implant its chips in humans for the first time. He said in February that Neuralink could start implanting the technology in people by the end of this year. In 2019, he said Neuralink hoped to begin human testing in 2020. Well, Musk has a history of over-promising and under-delivering on project timelines. In April, Neuralink released a video of a monkey playing a video game using a Neuralink device. After raising $205 million in July, Neuralink said it would channel the funds toward developing its chip so that it could allow quadriplegics to control digital devices with their hands. Uh, quadriplegia is the full or partial paralysis of the arms and legs. Well, Neuralink isn't the only company developing these kind of brain interface technologies. In July, a 20-person biotech firm called uh, Syncron uh, obtained approval from the Food and Drug Administration to start human testing of their device. It's uh, both fascinating and a little bit frightening at the same time. Now, if it allows someone who has lost the capacity to um, control their own body, that might be a useful uh, use of the technology. On the other hand, one wonders what comes along with it. We'll continue to follow the story as it develops, both with um, Musk and others who are seeking to develop this technology. Well, coming up, we are going to uh, have a conversation with Kyle Mann. He's the co-author of The Babylon Bee Guide to Wokeness. You might want to take some notes. The Babylon Bee, of course, is a satirical organization, and what they do is tongue-in-cheek is intended to be so, but it also, I think, shines a very bright light on some of the challenges we face in our culture if you're trying to um, maintain a standard of truth. So we'll talk with Kyle Mann in just a few moments. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of The Georgine Rice Show. Well, as you know, over the weekend, there were devastating earthquakes, not earthquakes. They were tornadoes that took place. In the uh, mid part of the country, Kentucky, Arkansas have been serviced by Samaritan's Purse, and they announced that more than 100 volunteers have uh, come so far from the Evangelical Humanitarian Group to help those who have been devastated by the deadly tornadoes that tore through six different states last weekend. Dozens uh, are uh, were pronounced dead. The charity is uh, partnering with churches in Kentucky and Arkansas. I mentioned earlier uh, in the week that if you're con- uh, considering giving, this might be one uh, way to do that because they're working with other non-sectarian organizations, but they uh, provide service in Jesus' name, and you can extend the love of Christ 
uh, while providing what these people need most. Todd Taylor is Samaritan's Purse U.S. Disaster Relief Program Manager. He's assisted with uh, dozens of storm responses with that ministry. He's among those on the ground in Mayfield, Kentucky, where the president visited earlier today to provide aid to those in need. In fact, the president mentioned Samaritan's Purse along with other secular organizations that are uh, reaching out and ministering to people who are suffering there now. He says that it looks like you uh, took the town and put it in a big blender and dumped it out. He told the uh, Christian Post when uh, interviewed about the situation there and the work that Samaritan's Purse is doing. He described the way a tornado impacted the town with a population of about 10,000. Uh, this was a very strong tornado. It was a very wide path of of destruction right in the heart of Mayfield. It truly is utter devastation. Homes have been blasted down to the foundation. The loss of life is staggering. Well, over 30 tornadoes devastated residents in six states on Friday night into Saturday morning. Arkansas, Illinois, Kentucky, Mississippi, Missouri, and Tennessee. And the fact that it took place in the evening makes it even more tragic. With four tornadoes striking in Kentucky, Mayfield, the small town, became the center of national news coverage as the tornado collapsed the Mayfield Consumer Products uh, Candle Factory and trapped many workers. At least eight have died. Well, in the wake of the storm, Samaritan Purse has uh, rushed to set up aid operations in three areas, two in Kentucky and one in Arkansas, working alongside other organizations who are doing similar work. Samaritan's Purse is partnering with three churches to provide disaster relief. First Assembly of God Church in Mayfield, Calvary Baptist Church in Bowling Green and Maple Road Baptist Church in Northeast Arkansas. Volunteers have offered to help people impacted by the storm. They're uh, cutting and removing broken trees. They're tarping roofs. They're salvaging their belongings and locating their items from houses that were blown apart. We uh, reported yesterday that there was one a home hundreds and hundreds of miles away that uh, saw pictures from one of the homes in Kentucky. So this storm spread debris over a very wide field. Well, as the rain poured into homes with no roofs, and that's been a problem, the volunteers have assisted by helping to remove wet carpet and sheetrock. They've also uh, cleaned up numerous yards of homes that have been uh, destroyed. Uh, we want to show these folks that um, are down in the ditch, the love of Jesus Christ, and we know there's a need. We're able to help these folks right where they are in Jesus' name. And that's one of the reasons I mentioned Samaritan's Purse. There may be others as well, uh, but if you're concerned about the people there, and I'm sure we all are, but want to contribute in a way that reflects your faith and Christ's love for that community, this is one uh, one opportunity. Uh, again, the uh, director for uh, Ministry of Samaritan's Purse says once yards have been cleaned, and raked up, even if the house has been destroyed, it gives the homeowners hope and a place to start, and that's when we can start sharing the gospel. While Taylor, who again is the director, said that Mayfield residents seem to be a close-knit group, about 10,000 in that community, you recall, with a great sense of community despite the loss of life and people still missing, the devastation for many is beginning to take hold. He recalled uh, hearing a woman tell him, her experience during the storm of how she and her husband, they were trapped in different places of their home. Uh, the couple, he said, remained separated for 24 hours. They could hear each other's voices, but they couldn't see each other until they were rescued. They couldn't uh, move from where they were uh, to where they wanted to be, which was closer 
uh, to where uh, they were. The other one was, I should say, this is really hard on a community. Tornadoes uh, make me think of the scripture that no one knows when the hour is coming because no one knew. There's that immediate shock. And as you drive perpendicular to where the tornado hit, you go from no drainage to catastrophic damage. Uh, there are some similarities to destruction and the emotional issues that people face in hurricanes or in tornadoes. But the hurricanes give you a time to prepare. These people impacted by these tornadoes had about 20 minutes warning before uh, the uh, the tornado hit. Well, the best thing people can do for those impacted by the tornado is pray. We should remain in prayer. Prayers are the uh, are heard by our Heavenly Father. Just knowing that people across the nation are lifting them up in prayer can bring comfort to those who are impacted. He went on to say, for those without faith, we see it harder road to recovery. And those who are heavily involved in church and Jesus is their daily bread, have more hope for tomorrow that God uh, will see them through. And that certainly has been the case. I listened to many testimonials, if you will, of people who have been impacted. And many of them uh, said, first of all, they were surviving, having lost everything because of their faith and that God had sustained them and strengthened them through it all. So praying for the community, those who uh, know Christ, that they would be strengthened and would be able to persevere. But for those who are without that eternal hope, that this would be a circumstance that would um, lead them to make decisions that would have eternal impact. So I'm hoping and praying that that will, in fact, be the case. Well, earlier today, I had an opportunity uh, to um, be a part of a Christmas program for uh, folks in a program for um, those who have been in the faith for a longer period of time and had a wonderful opportunity to hear great teaching and to sing some Christmas carols together and just be reminded of what a tremendous season we find ourselves in. And I was reminded of First John, the third chapter, I believe it's verse 8, that tells us really what the whole Christmas story is about, that Jesus came in order to forgive our sins and to relieve us of the burden uh, that every one of us bears, uh, not just during this season, but because we were born in sin And it, in one line, essentially, tells us everything we need to know about Christmas. I want to encourage you to seize this opportunity to share with your neighbors. Many are still fearful about the pandemic that we find ourselves in, the new variant that we are unsure about, uh, what the future might hold. We're living in a a season of high inflation and challenges that we didn't uh, imagine would be ours just months ago. But here we are in the midst of it. First of all, as followers of Christ, we should be men and women with hope. We should uh, reflect that hope and not be overwhelmed by fear, although there are many things around us that certainly would merit um, concern. And we can also share our faith. People tend to be more open during the holiday season. But I think during the holiday season when we are experiencing challenges, uh, might make them more receptive as well. So I would encourage all of us to consider the tremendous opportunity we have to share our faith, to share the joy and hope that we have in Christ, and to look for ways to minister to not just those in distant places like Kentucky and Arkansas and other states devastated by tornadoes, but our neighbor across the street and people who live down the road, people we work with, folks we know who might be struggling, and what a gift we can be to others during this season. It doesn't cost much. It just costs a little time, attention, and genuine concern and care for those 
uh, in our orbit. I'm so grateful that every one of us is an influencer. We have people uh, with whom we have some influence. What we say and do matters. We are being watched and observed, and people wonder what difference does our faith make. And we have an opportunity during this season and throughout the year to demonstrate what difference our faith makes, not just by how we behave, but what we say about uh, our faith. So I hope we'll all seize this opportunity during this season to be generous and gracious and kind and uh, thoughtful of those around us who might be struggling or suffering. What a great gift we have to share. Um, and I hope we'll take every opportunity to do just that. Well, we are out of time. I hope you'll join us here tomorrow. We're uh, planning to focus more on Christmas in the following week. I just looked at my calendar today and I can hardly believe we're just days away from the actual holiday. To be quite honest, I haven't even begun to do any Christmas shopping. Um, so I'll spend a little time doing that. But uh, looking forward to just having some time to celebrate and to reflect on God keeping his promise. So uh, looking forward to spending some time talking with pastors next week and doing some special Christmas programming. So I hope you will plan to join us for that. Well, I want to thank you for listening and I want to thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Good night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. Salemnow.com.